This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week's episode of O Ship. This is a very special uh, episode. I have my friend Duncan Bannatine joining us now. If you don't know Duncan, Duncan is a Scottish entrepreneur, philanthropist, and author. Uh, his business interests include everything from hotels, to spas, health clubs, media, uh, property, and as some of you may know, TV. To our friends in the UK, he's probably most well known for his appearance as a judge and investor on Dragon's Den, uh, the show that was basically the inspiration for Shark Tank in the US. Uh, during his time on the show, he invested over 36 businesses, and Duncan's even written seven books. Anyone can do it. Wake up and change your life. How to be smart with your money. How to be smart with your time. 43 mistakes businesses make. 37 questions everyone in the business needs to answer. And riding the storm. So needless to say, he has just a few opinions about just a few subjects. Beyond all that, he's just an all-around incredible guy. I've got to know him over the last couple of years. And so I can vouch for this personally, but it's not just, just because I say so. He was even awarded the highly prestigious OBE, or for my American friends, again, the Order of the British Empire Award uh, for his contribution to charity. So as an extraordinarily successful entrepreneur and advisor to countless other entrepreneurs, I think he's got some pretty sage-like wisdom to share. So I think Duncan kind of prides himself on his ability to find his own destiny, which is why today's theme is going to be all about shaping your own success even, frankly, in the most challenging environments, which is very much in the spirit of O'Ship. So with that, welcome to this week's episode. Duncan, welcome to O'Ship. How are you? I'm good, Fred. How are you? I'm doing great. Good, good to see your face. Where, where are you calling in from today? Uh, my, my condo in Miami. Wish I was there. It's good. Uh, it's ironic that you're, you're in Miami and I, and I finally left, but uh, I, I need to get back down that way so we've got more excuses to, to hang out. <laughs> you can't do, yeah. We're missing you. Yeah, thanks, mate. So, you know, again, I've talked a little bit about your, your background at the intro of the show, but I'd love it would be great if, if you could talk a little bit more about the Bannatine Group and, and just so people have a sense of, uh, of your business and a little bit more context. So the Bannatine Group is, is, is the limited company which has got three subsidiaries and the subsidiaries operate uh, 68 health clubs, 47 spas and uh, four hotels. And it was doing really well in 2019. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. And so we're uh, at the moment continuing to be in survival mode, getting back out the, the damage done by the pandemic, money we had to borrow, build up the membership again, build the confidence to be able to come back to spas, for example, and, uh, you know, looking forward to the future. Yeah, I, I know that every time that the UK uh, locked down, uh, it was I, I, part of me definitely, you were on, on my mind. I know that wasn't going to be fun for you. I think... Uh, is it two two years to the day since uh, the first the first lockdown in the UK, if I remember correctly? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's today. Two two years today. I remember that lockdown very well. But we all thought it was going to be a few weeks, and then you'd reopen again. Nobody knew it was going to last as long as it did. Yeah, 
Um, I'd you know, be terrified if it happened again because you know, we borrowed so much money. You know, there was 10 big health club operators in the UK, and five of them went into some sort of receivership. One of them never opened again, and the other four done deals and lost some of the business and uh, came out of it at the end, but not as, um, not as well as they went into it. I think that's a, a perfect segue to the first area I'd like to jump into today. So, you know, I, I've been very excited uh, to have you on those ships. I really spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what I wanted to ask you about today. And as I kept going into to researching you and your background, there, there was just so many good quotes that, frankly, I found attributed to you. And so I thought to myself, what if I asked Duncan to apply some of his own advice that he's given to other people uh, back to him, himself. So, you know, as an entrepreneur who's in hotels and spas and gym and obviously uh, had quite a few challenges the last couple of years, mm -hmm. I wanted to see how you felt about this quote that you once said, and I'm going to make sure I quote it accurately. All businesses face hurdles and obstacles is how we tackle them that shape our success. So how do you think you've tackled your own challenges and obstacles over the last couple of years? Over the last couple of years, I, I became quite obsessed with looking at my company's debt structure and every month to see how the debt was going up and uh, how we'd handle it going forward because, you know, the, the, the business was closed. There was no employees working. And so uh, I just had to look at that and then just work out how we're going to reduce that. So it was a paper exercise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just talking sometimes to some of the, some of the people that I work with, that, that work for my company, seeing how they were doing, seeing how we were surviving. We had to let some people go, but um, most of them survived. We had about, um, I think we lost probably about 15% of our employees. Mm. Closed four clubs out of 70. And we, we got through it. And it's just a matter of just every day, just being more confident that, you know, we're going to get through this. Mm. Um, and we did. And it was great to get through them. And there's a lot of people in much worse conditions mm. than we were suffering. So we couldn't feel sorry for ourselves. All we had to do was um, just do the calculations every month and see where we are. 15% actually is uh, not nearly as bad as I would have projected for, for someone mm. in, in your guys space. So that, that's great. Yeah. Out of interest, you know, obviously the extraordinary circumstances of the last couple of years bordering on feeling a little bit like a weird science fiction film sometimes. How has this been different from, you know, navigating some of the challenges maybe you've done at earlier parts of your career, which didn't involve a giant global pandemic? You know, it's, yeah, this was shocking. It was a shock to the system, but it was a slow revelation because, as, as I said, as we went into it, we thought, well, it was only last a few a few weeks. And, of course, I said, we're closing on was it 24th of March. I said, we'll pay all the employees till the end of this month full wages. And then the next month, of course, we couldn't afford to do that. And then it started to reduce, and we were just paying furlough, and that was it. But you don't know at the beginning just what it's going to be like, and, it, and then it becomes, you know, we, get, we also got stranded in the UK because we, we intended to come to America, as we did every year, and uh, Donald Trump had put restrictions on how, how many days you could be in Europe before you put America. And we were one day out, and uh, we got stopped at the airport and sent back, and we're actually homeless. <laughs> And uh, we'd, we'd been staying at the Ritz Hotel, and they said, we can't take you back in because you know, we're close. <laughs> so a friend, a uh, very good friend of mine, a billionaire, uh, John Colbo, very kind of took us in and said, we can stay in my house in London because I'm not staying in it. And we stayed there and uh, uh, survived uh, like, like that. But yeah, it was, you know, it was, 
it was worse than build up a business. It was seeing your business being collapsed, and then you have to start again at some point. And you, you, you can't start again because you don't know when it's going to start again. Mm-hmm. We have this silly thing here where Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, and Wales all have different rules on when you can open and when you can open. And people would say to me, why do we have to wear masks? I said, well, we don't anymore. It's extended. Well, we do. We're in Wales. Said, well, yeah, talk to your Wales Prime Minister. Not doing me. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's your control. You know, it's it's a really good point. I didn't think about before. It's you know, it's one thing when you've got a business. It's you know, there's a clear start and end. Some of the challenges, and you kind of go, okay, well, I know there's this something that's going to happen at some moment when I can start to think about how to rebuild. But it's almost like you know, so I've, I've, I, people on the show have heard me talk about before, where it's like you know, stress and and business challenges don't actually stress me out that much. But affairs of the heart. I find really, really uh, disturbing because there's no easy resolution. And I, and I think when you haven't got an easy resolution to your business, when you're just in limbo, that that's going to be in, insanely stressful. So, which, which I think is a, a good, a good segue. Um, last week on OSHIP, we had a, a really, really great episode about uh, kind of work-life balance and, and mental well-being and, and employee wellness and so on. Obviously you're even in the business of wellness how, how did you think about that kind of stuff for your your employees? Did you did you do anything specific to try and address the stress that they were probably feeling? You know, not not you know, beyond beyond even the stuff I know you were personally feeling for your your team. There was very little we could do actually, except continue when we were doing press interviews mm-hmm. and talking about it. Continue to say we will open again, and you know we'll keep the majority of our, our employees. I did mention one day that I was going to have to close two clubs because two loss making clubs where I could. Mm-hmm. Get the leases. Of course, I had about 50 members from different clubs written. Oh, it's not our club. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we did close those two clubs. Yeah. I didn't reopen them. So, yeah, but so the employees in those clubs, of course, and all the clubs were, were concerned it was their club that was getting closed mm. and it wasn't. And so. I got, got one last question on the subject, then I want to move into some other areas. Again, hindsight's always 2020, but if you could have gone back two years, is there anything you would have done differently? Well, just before the pandemic, I had got uh, national, international, global pandemic insurance. I think that is that is uh, solid, solid advice. Yeah, I was like, that, the random insurance. I'd be like, do you want global? No, I don't need global pandemic insurance. What the hell are you talking about? I'd be like, I would love global pandemic insurance. That sounds amazing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's very expensive, <laughs> Yeah, we were offered it once. It's very, very expensive, so we didn't take it out. I, I didn't even know that would be such a thing, but again, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that it's even uh, even more expensive uh, now. Yeah. So, so I, I want to jump over to uh, a slightly different subject and and uh, you know flipping to kind of some of the more positive sides of things now. When, whenever I've had an opportunity to get to know any really successful entrepreneurs or leaders over the years, I feel like uh, when they uh, reflect on their on their life and their career. They're able to look back and see uh, a, mo- a moment that it was like they felt like it was like that was the turning point. It may have been a certain business, it could have been a meeting, it could have been a, a deal, it could have been a life event. But it was like something they feel that they looked at that moment was a little bit of like where the flip started to happen, where like a whole new life began. Do you do you have a do you have a moment like that in your life that that you'd be willing to to talk about? A moment when when uh, the finances changed. Yeah, or the, in the trajectory, it's almost like the trajectory 
of, of your whole career, you know, kind of started to change? So I was, um, I was selling ice cream about 1987. So we were 38 then. And um, I had a couple of terrace houses I bought, I was doing bed breakfast. And then it came to me that you could open homes for the elderly, nursing homes for the elderly. And um, I went walking down the high street where my ice cream van was parked and I saw this plot of land for sale. So I went in and over the course of the next few months I managed to buy this land and get permission to build a brand new home for the elderly. And as I looked at the figures and the people started to move into it, I thought, why am I driving an ice cream van? <laughs> and the evenings after doing this, and I sold the ice cream business and, and that was it. My whole life had changed. I wasn't going to be selling ice cream all day. I had a little cafe, which I gave back to the, the council, council on council land, and started building up this nursing home business, which five years later, I floated down the stock exchange, and five years later, I sold it for $52 million. And I was an ice cream salesman just about 10 years before that, before that sale. Amazing. Uh, and and so and so the it was so it was the retirement home business that was kind of like the first one that that really that really blew up for you. Correct. Yes. Yes. I was. Yeah. That was that was the one. And when we sold that, I went down into different businesses because you've got you've got you've got you've got a choice. You can pay forty um, percent capital gains tax. And my, my my take was my profit was twenty five million. So that's ten million pound capital gains tax. I reinvest the money and. Uh, you, you, you delay the tax and uh, so I thought oh, I'm going to start more business and, and delay some of this I ended up delaying the whole lot I put the whole 25 in your businesses and so there was the health club business the hotel business uh, children's day nursery business and uh, a few little odds and sods that I invested in so it's a very very serious question uh, Does did your ice cream truck play the music that the ice cream trucks do and if it did does ice cream truck music haunt your dreams at night did you hear too much of it for those many years or are you are you at peace with ice cream trucks at this point in your life i've got peace with ice cream trucks at this point in my life. <laughs> awesome. i don't think they're doing as well as what they did in, when i was doing it because people get deep freezes now and you can go to the supermarket and you can buy yeah. a box of ice creams just Ice creams in it, things like that. So it's changed. It's funny. Change. People, people take that for granted. I think now it's just you, you forget this yeah. is too easy to, to keep this stuff around. So uh, jumping down, uh, kind of my list of things I wanted to get in with you. So you you once said that one of the great lessons uh, was learning that the advice you don't want to hear is probably the advice you should listen to most. Can you share an instance where you got the advice you didn't want to hear, but it helped you the most? Yeah, I think it was when I, when, when I came to actually sell the homes for the elderly, which had, uh, was part of my life for 10 years. I built it up. It was my business. It was a great business. But I hated it um, because what you're doing is you're dealing with people who are coming in and they're coming in in the last stages of life and they're going to die. And so every 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 week you're you're looking at the counts and you're looking at the number of med- residents you have or patients you have and you you redlining them out because they've died, they've passed away. Uh, and that was really a sad type of business to, to be in. And so the advice I was given was was to sell it. And I said, well, it's my business. I love it. Said, no, sell it. And I did. And I moved on. And I'm a completely different business now, a different environment, an environment that I love, um, the health club business, and it's fantastic. So yeah, that was that was the one. It, it, uh, I have to ask, was there like a correlation when you were thinking about this? So you went basically from a business, you were obviously caring for people at the, 
the last part of their life. But was there any was there any kind of intentional thinking of going? Okay, well, the reason I like the gyms is because I'm still caring for people, but maybe I'm helping them at their earlier part of their life. Like, what what made that jump from from one to the other for you? No, I just saw the need for okay. for health clubs. I actually opened one before I sold the national business. So the one in a separate company. And then um, that was it. Um, I built up. The one did well. Uh, at least all my... my, my, my uh, in actual fact, I, 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 I had a bad break in my leg. It snapped the ligaments in 1992. Ouch. And I was sitting in the gym. Well, I had to have a machine working my leg out like this. I was sitting in the gym, working on my leg, and I was doing like 20 sessions in an hour, 20. So it's between sessions. Looking and I just worked out how big the gym was, but... Counting the, the ceiling tiles. I thought, well, I knew how much revenue they had because I knew how many members they had, and I knew it was full. I knew what the members were paying because um, I was paying the same, and I knew what it would cost to build. I worked out what it would cost to build, and I thought, it's a great return on money. I'm going to build one of these. And then basically, that's why I did in 1987 to build the first one. It. it was that simple. I love, I love that you were counting the ceiling tiles. This is yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> you're there bored, you know, because you got where your leg is in between sessions. You... If, if, so if we're ever at dinner and I see, if I think you're bored because you're looking all around, I'll know now that you're secretly calculating the square footage of the restaurant, trying to decide if it's a good business. <laughs> never bored when I'm, when I'm never you and Racky Fred. It never, uh, never happens. <laughs> so uh, I love this idea um, you're know, talking about how you had this inspiration to, to start this new business. So it's a per- perfect segue. So I have joked on uh, many occasions uh, on the show that uh, being a serial entrepreneur is a little bit like a, a serial masochist. And bluntly, that's how I earned this you know, uh, nifty haircut of mine. Uh, and as I was digging through all these great quotes that were attributed to you, I found this one I really enjoyed. And it said, uh, starting a new business based on a good idea is hard enough. But starting with a bad idea, you have to be a masochist. So my question to you is, have all my ideas been bad ideas uh, or <laughs> all jokes aside, basically, you know, how do you decide if a business idea is a, bad, is, a, is a bad one? I mean, especially when you think about being even on Dragon's Den, I'm sure people are pitching you ideas all the time. Is it an intuitive process for you or is your, how, do you, how do you go about deciding what's good or bad? That um, quote must have been when I was on Dragon's Den and seen some bad businesses coming in. I'm and, sure you uh, did. And there were a lot of them, you know, and people invested a lot of their own money and a lot of their own time. And you felt sorry for them sometimes that they, they, they okay. would lose their houses because they invested millions of pounds in a business that was never going to work, you know. And then they say, yeah, but what you guys say is you keep trying, keep going, but that's what we're doing. Yeah, but you've got a bad idea. It doesn't work, you know. So you've got to really work out the idea. And it, there's a lot of bad ideas. And they think, you know, nobody else is doing it. And they think that's that. That means it must be right for them to do it. But maybe maybe a reason why no one else is doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe that's why they're not, not doing it because it's a bad idea. Yeah. Well, so there's got a lot more to it than that. I've got to really think it through and really test it out. You, you see, you know, it's funny. I, n- I never really thought about it before. How um, you know, you're obviously a very math math oriented uh, guy. You're always running the numbers in your head. Mm. Um, you know, if you saw a, if you saw a business that maybe you weren't in love with. Uh, for whatever the core of the business was, but it was a good business that, that uh, it, it was a good revenue generating business. Is that is that good business in your mind? It's like, as long as it makes money, you know what I mean? Yeah, if, if, if it makes money, but I, I would never be bogged down again the way I was with the national business and that sort of industry that I didn't enjoy. I mean, there's no point, there's a stage in your life where there's no point making any more money unless you enjoy it. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm running my life now. I, I love my life. I'm having a fantastic yeah. time. I'm so relaxed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm in love with my wife. I'm in love with my, my, my life, my family, my children. You know, everything is just wonderful. Uh, I would never do anything that would, that would come. And, and by the way, that's one of the reasons I, I, I left Dragon's Den. A lot of people think, you know, why did you leave? Different reasons were given. But, you know, the thing is, you're spending 26 days in a studio listening to yeah. our people and you get traveling time back and forward and things like that. And I just thought, I'm getting too old to really let any of my time be wasted doing that. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons I left. And, uh, you know, you make sure that your time is is, is, is well used. As it, yeah. as it less and less left. The older we get, the less and less time we have left. In fairness, I think you did, you did a ton of seasons. I think everything, everything you, you know, no one wants to do the same thing forever, especially a guy who's got an inquisitive mind like you. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have to ask, uh, the show would not be called Oh Ship if I didn't ask uh, for an Oh Ship uh, story at some point. Uh, so, you know, as a reminder, one of the things that Oh Ship is all about is, you know, talking to people who have had, you know, really great successful runs and saying, look, you know, along the way, you know, all the, you know, I think uh, everyone slips, everyone has their misses. Maybe they have a moment where they think everything's gone horribly wrong yeah. and, and they were able to return back from that. Maybe that, that experience taught them a valuable life lesson. Maybe it inspired them or taught, changed the way they are as a leader. Sometimes maybe it did none of those things. And it was just, you know, funny in hindsight, but maybe not so funny at the time. Do you, yeah. do you have kind of any O-ship o stories uh, along the way of, of your career that you can uh, share? Yeah, I can tell you a funny story. At the time, before I sold the, the Nottingham business in, in 1987, I was, I was talking about a business called Just Learning. We built and developed children's day nurseries for children under five and for education. And um, I started building up in about 1999. I was approached by somebody who wanted to buy it. It was a real process, a forbidden process, and eventually I sold it to the highest bidder, and the price is 22 million. But it was taken because of the London lawyers involved and as a venture capitalist was, was making was making the purchase actually. There's a lot of lawyers involved and it was taking a long, long process. And in the meantime, I had some investors coming over from America to meet with me. They flew in in Concord. As it happens, they arrived the same day we were going to complete the sale of this just learning business. And it was just unavoidable. So I picked up at the airport and I took to a little place called Yuan. I was taking out for dinner. I was going out for dinner. My lawyer lives in my lawyer's office in Yam. I said to him, I've got to take you for dinner. I've got to go over to my lawyer's office to conclude some, some work on this on the sale document. I says, okay. So I sat him down, ordered the food, went over to the lawyers, and they never texted me. And um, we, we completed what we thought was the documents. Then it goes back there to London. It goes through all these lawyers. They come back. There's a misprint on page six. It's got to be changed. They've got to do the whole 150 pages printed off again. So this went on and on and on. And I had a shop at Bentley. So I said to the guys, the investors, look, I've got to stay here. I'm going to get my driver. I'll take you into town, take you to a couple of clubs, and then I'll see you tomorrow. This is okay. So my Bentley went away with them. I said, look after them. So we concluded this sale at one o'clock in the morning. And my lawyer said, okay, finish now. It's done. The money will be in your bank in the morning. We came out and it's starting to rain. And I said to him, I am. Um, I've no car. Can you drop me off? And he says, no, I'm going the other way. <laughs> so, and I couldn't get in touch with my driver. And so I'm stood there in the middle of Yam High Street. And so there's a lone little taxi coming through. And I waved him down. Oh, thank God, get in the car. You know, take me home. So 
just taking my home. And I'm talking to a couple of friends on, on, on the phone, telling them how to turn the deal for 22 yeah. million. Yeah. And uh, we get to my house, and I had a big impressive house at the time, so I press the button, the gates open, drive up the driveway, and we get to the front door, and it goes, oh, shit, I left my wallet in the Bentley. <laughs> I can't tell you that. So I go bang out the door. My wife's in bed sleeping. I see the television on in the bedroom, one of the she couldn't hear me. And I took 15 minutes to wake her up. And she came downstairs and said, I need some money for that. She said, I have no money. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's been listening to you tell the story the whole way yeah. too. Oh, and my wallet was in the Bentley. I had no credit cards. So I said, I take her credit card, get back in the taxi, go to the nearest bank, get some cash out, and she'd go back to her and then pay the taxi. But he saw the funniest thing. He was laughing his head off because it was a funny story. He said, going to tell everybody the story. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, one of those moments that kind of you're like blow, blow, you secretly blows all your 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 street cred. Uh, so, but Doug, I got I got more questions for you. I, I gotta ask. So, you know, in in my career, I have uh, bootstrapped. Uh, actually, a couple of my business, most of my businesses were bootstrapped. For people that know that expression, which basically did it with you know just pulling my pulling my bootstraps up and making it work with my own money without raising a bunch of investor money. Uh, I've raised VC money, venture capital money. And frankly, I've even mortgaged my house once when I needed some cash to uh, to support a business. So you once said, uh, an entrepreneur in debt is an entrepreneur in business. Can you tell our audience more about what that means uh, to you? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I mean, I was I was building nursing homes at the time and then building health clubs. So I had to borrow the money to build them. And the thing is, you know, it's, it's a bit like buying a house. You buy your first house. If you buy a house for, say, 100000 and it goes up by 10% in value, you've made 10000 But you've only actually put in 10000 to this house. You've borrowed 90000 from the bank. You've almost doubled your money, your, your initial investment. So the more you borrow, the more the more if things go up and they go the right way, then the more you'll make. And business is a bit like that. The, the, more, you, the more you borrow to invest, you're borrowing the money from the bank at 3%, 4%, 5%. If you're going to 15% return on your capital, then you're doing really, really well. Mm. And that was the basis of that, really. Yeah. And so people, I guess uh, the point is, I think people out there, where they could be great innovative people, they could be innovation people, great creative people, whatever the type of business owner you're on there. Sounds like if you're not leveraging, uh, frankly, borrowing money to your yeah. advantage to scale the business faster, then you're, you're missing out. I, I'm actually not great at listening to this advice. So I think that's, I think that's sound advice. You know, you put more money if you got a, a really good business. Theoretically, if you put more money into it, you get more money out. And so yeah. I think some people are scared of being um, in debt, but I think your point is, you know, hey, if, 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 if the machine's really working, borrow the money because you're going to get higher interest rates and the, especially some of the early rates are out there now, even if they're, if they're going up a bit. So uh, the theme of today's show, uh, the outline of the, in the intro is uh, shaping your own success. Uh, so this is something uh, that, you know, I, I'm a big believer in. But you had a quote that says, uh, you have to make your own chances. Now, this is something that resonates with me uh, personally. I don't believe in uh, that my fate is determined. I know uh, some people do. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd love for you to tell me more about what this really means, uh, you, means to you. Well, it's a bit like anything in life, really. You know, if you want a good job, nobody is going to come and knock on your door and say, I've got a fantastic job for you really highly paid you don't have to do much work you've got to go and you've got to get that job you've got to go you've got to read adverts you've got to apply to companies you've got to get a job 
in business is the same. You've got to start the business. You've got to go to the bank. You've got to convince them to give you the money. You've got to do research. You've got to do all them things. You've got to go for it. You can't wait for it just just to happen. You know, I think the people who are the most deluded are the ones who think, so he started a business. He was very lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. It's just not true. You know, everybody has some luck. Uh, but the more you push, the more you try, and the harder you go for things, mm-hmm. then the more that luck will determine your success. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And I think anybody can be successful. I mean, that's the, the, the my original autobiography was, was anyone can do it. And I really believe that anyone can do it. Anyone can go and start a big business, but they've got to go and do it. And you, know, you see guys sometimes standing in the, in the pub, drinking and complaining about other people having wealth. They have no wealth, but they haven't gone out and done it. They've been in the pub all night. You know, mm-hmm. when it's our business, you haven't got time to go to the pub. You can start your mm-hmm. business and make your business work. Mm-hmm. And be working hard and dedicate your life to it. Uh, you know, what, what's your kind of take on? Uh, yeah, so obviously, people come from all kinds of social economic backgrounds, and, mm. and uh, obviously, have some some people have more challenges than others. But do you think anyone can overcome that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's limitations. Yeah. You know, uh, and some people uh, suffer really bad medical uh, situations, mm. and uh, that that becomes harder a bit. Just yeah, being so, so, so extenuating the circumstances aside, though, you, you know, you should be able to do it. Um, I do think there's some uh, merit to this idea of, of you know, like, look, I, I don't think you have to have a, a fancy degree or, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you need to be smart about what business you pick. You know, you're maybe not going to go try and run a, you know, artificial intelligence software company if you haven't got the education for it. But I think you could you could pick a, you know, a business category and, you know, in my experience, uh, the most most of the success that I've seen, anyways, comes to working, hard, being willing to work harder than than other folks, and just being finding a craft that you're really good at and executing it really well. And that could be as something as simple as being, a, you know, an incredibly good electrician, and and just going out there yeah. finding other really good electricians and and having good service, and uh, or you know, uh, uh, it could be. Cutting grass. I mean, it doesn't need. It doesn't. You don't have to have any kind of you know formal education. I think to go out there and, and build a good business. If you could, if you're good with clients, if you're reliable, and you take your craft seriously. And I think that, that taking your craft seriously, I think, is the thing that most people really don't appreciate because there there are people out there that maybe in this world where you know if you if you are in a in a, a lower income bracket or whatever. You know, I think sometimes you may not see the money in some of these businesses, but I think there are people, there are a lot of people in this world that will pay top dollar for people that are top of their craft, no matter what that craft is, even if it's cleaning houses. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And and I think people can build businesses in in any of these any of these paths. And I and I, I believe that too. I you know, again, I, I think um, yeah, I think pe- people don't people don't appreciate this enough. What, what would you say to the you know, work the people there, the work the work smarter, not harder crowd. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a good quote, but, uh, you know, I think it would be different circumstances. You know, I mean, I, I had to work hard, and you can work smarter, uh, but one of the ways you work smarter is you, you build the business up and you employ other people to do the things that you've been doing in that business, like looking after the accounts and things like that. And you, you, have, a good, you have a good team of people that you trust. And so that's working smarter in a way. Maybe maybe you have to maybe you have to work harder before you work smarter if that makes sense. Well, I think you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, things have changed recently over the last 10, 15 years because 
people are making absolute billions from ideas on the internet and, and billions from companies that don't even make a profit. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Tesla's making a profit yet, but it's a trillion pound company just about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand it. You know? <laughs> and, and I missed that book by, by years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one of the things that I'd love to address today, uh, you know, is, and uh, you know, I think it's kind of wrapping up today. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the intro of the show that, you know, you're always trying to make a difference in the world. I think it's one of the things that, that makes you more than just a, a, a an entrepreneur. You know, you're involved in a lot of a lot of different charities. I'd love to hear some of the areas that, that you're focused on, the charities you support. And then, you know, is there, um, you know, speaking to the audience, whether people are watching live or they're, or they're watching the show, you know, the next several months, what, what are things maybe people could do to get involved or to support those charities? Yeah, well... Two of the favourite charities I have that I've, I've known the people over the years, the Saturday charities, I've been involved with them. I see where the money goes. And these two charities are um, Operation Smile. And I fund, uh, before the pandemic, I funded each year for a few years uh, a trip with them, a medical trip. And what we do is we go to countries where there's a need for um, people who require repairs to clefts. And sometimes clefts you can't see, sometimes inside, and it can be disastrous to try and eat with a cleft inside your mouth. And uh, we will take volunteer, this, this is based on volunteer surgeons, volunteer nurseries, volunteer anesthetists, who will come and they will operate on about 125 to 150 over five days, Monday to Friday, wow. and also and do great operations. And uh, the whole thing, cost me to fund that about 125 to 150,000 pounds for a trip. So that's 1,000 wow. pounds per operation. Wow. That's because they're all volunteers. So all I'm paying for is their travel and their, their hotel bills and the food and drink and things like that. And they give the time gracefully because they are plastic surgeons and plastic surgeons do make a lot of money. They do say that I make a lot of money and I want to give something back. And so I come here. Some have done about 50 trips. You know, wow. It's quite amazing. But I see that happening, and I see how that works. And, and, and the founder was a was a plastic surgeon. Him and his wife worked very hard in the business and make it work. And um, yeah, it's great. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and is that a, if people want to find that, just Google Operation Smile or uh, is it operationsmile.com or something like that? Operation Smile. Operationsmile.com, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. That's, that's great. As people, um, you know, I. I I can't imagine how hard it would be to have a, a you know, cleft lip. So, and I, what a what a you know a major change you're making in those people's lives. Yeah, when you change the, the person, you don't just change the child's life; you change the whole family's life. Sometimes the family have got three or four children, and three of them are normal, and the one who's got a cleft. And some of the African countries, the villagers won't let them out. They have to stay in the, in the house, and you can't come out because you contaminate us all. And they have all these voodoo things and, and thoughts, which we try to educate them on, but it's, that's not easy. And just to be clear, it's operationsmile.org. Uh, for anyone who's listening through the live podcast, want to make sure uh, that you can uh, you can find the site there. And then, and, and, and what, what's the other one, Duncan? Charity is from a good friend of mine, Magnus McFarrell, many years ago. And um, I met Magnus in, in Romania. Two years after the fall of Chichesco, he'd opened uh, a home for uh, orphans who'd been abandoned. They were all HIV positive, all been abandoned by the parents. Mm-hmm. They were treated pretty bad in, in the hospital. Then it suggested to me that they could build an hour orphanage on the land. So I went to 
remaining with them. And I said, I'd fund it. And uh, we wanted it done quick. And so we met with the architects, the builders, and we built the place, and we got 10 more children in. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Then over the course of the next couple of years, Magnus changed what he wanted to do. He said, I want to start a new charity, which is called Mary's Mills. And the concept is that they feed children in, in African countries, mm-hmm. and the child will only come to the school, the feed children in the school, will only get fed if they come to school. So come to school all day, they learn, they educate, and they get fed at lunchtime. That's fine. And now it feeds 1 million... 300 children all around the world in 26 or 27 different countries. Wow. That's amazing. Every, everywhere it goes, they feed the children, they have partnerships with the local people, so the, the mothers will come prepare the food and get the food ready and distribute the food and to the children. And, and the children bring their own plate or their own cup to get the food in. And it works. Amazing. It's an amazing charity. And, uh, you know, he, he should be a saint. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I did fund that for a while, part of that charity for a while. Uh, I, I haven't done uh, since the pandemic, but I'm going to get started again. It's amazing. And that's at I'm actually going to go check out both of those right after the show. And, uh, and hopefully they've got some easy ways to, to contribute or donate. So that, that's awesome. Again, um, it, I think uh, you know it's, it's wonderful when people get to have great success. I think it's even more wonderful when people have great success, find ways to make sure that other people are successful. So... Uh, Dunk, I think that's a great, inspiring place to end uh, today's show. Thank you so much for finding the time to uh, to chat with us. Uh, this was great. I really enjoyed uh, digging into some of those uh, the subjects with you. I'm sure the audience really enjoyed it as well. And uh, you know, for those of you who've been watching live, thank you for chiming in. Uh, for those of you uh, who are watching the show, whether you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, or any of the other platforms we're now streaming on. And also our audio-only show across major podcasting platforms. Thank you again for subscribing. The best thing you can do to support the show and, frankly, also uh, get the word out about some of those great charities that Duncan uh, supports is share this episode on your social feeds. Give a subscribe or give us a like. So thank you again. Uh, Duncan, you're the best. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks, everyone, again for, for watching. I'll see you next week on OSHIP. The O-Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sales for the O-Ship Show.